Hello, and welcome to the Orthopod. My name is Liam Fernando Canavan. I'm a medical student at the University of Melbourne, and this is a podcast where I'll take a history from experts in orthopaedic and musculoskeletal medicine. Dr. Alessandro Bruschi is a friend of the podcast and currently here in Melbourne as the Honorary Sarcoma Fellow at St. Vincent's Hospital. In addition to his interests and expertise in orthopaedic oncology and trauma, Ale has also recently begun a PhD in oncology. Bentornato al orthopod, Dr. Bruschi. Thank you very much, Liam, for having me here in your podcast. I'm so happy to be part of one episode of your podcast, uh, also here in Australia. So I'm very happy about that. Thank you very much. Perfect. So last time we did a podcast before, I saved the most important question for the end of the podcast when we talked about wearing the white coat, which is a very important thing in Italy. All the doctors wear the white coat. It's a symbol of your respect for the patient. But here in Melbourne, of course, coffee is the most important thing. So how do you have a coffee? It is a very interesting question because I have been impressed by Melbourne culture about coffee. You know, I expected to come here and not to find a, a culture of coffee as we have in Italy, but I have been very shocked about the quality of the coffee. It's very important for me because it's the, thing, the first thing I drink when I wake up. So it's important for starting the day in a, in a good way. And usually I order an espresso because it's like that in Italy. But then I got used to have a cappuccino here. But I have to be sincere. I recently changed my habit. And now when I, I go inside and I look at the waiter straight in the eyes and I ask, can I have a magic mate? <laughs> so you're drinking magics. You have a yes, magic. Yes, yes. Yeah? Uh, thanks to you. Thanks to you. You introduced me to this beautiful culture of magic. I didn't know the existence of this and even know the differences between a flat white, a cappuccino, a latte macchiato or a small latte. And now I have the possibility to experience all those different a kind of, of coffee based on my mood. So it's something that I really appreciate. So you get your day going with the magic. <laughs> yes, that, that's how it works here. Beautiful. It sounds like you're enjoying your time here. So how are you finding living in Australia, mate? You came here in October when it was nice and cold. It was raining. Did you miss your white coat? Well, uh, for sure I miss it. But on the other side, in St. Vincent Hospital, I'm very happy that I can wear a suit with a beautiful tie. So um, I like to dress up. <laughs> I like fashion as, a, as an Italian. So uh, that thing is important for me. So despite the fact that I miss my white coat, I really enjoy to dress up for, for working. So I think this is one thing that I will be missing when, when back in Italy. But on the other side, I'm enjoying my life here in Australia. And uh, I have to be sincere. I struggled a lot. The first month with, uh, with the weather, because it was rainy, maybe in the first few months until December, it rained every day. And so I was a bit disappointed, but then things got better. And I'm, I'm really enjoying my time here. Above all, in these days, it's summer. And last week, I have been in Queensland in, um, on the Great Barrier Reef. And it has been, I think, one of the most amazing experiences in my life, because it's it's a hidden world underwater and it's the biggest living organism in the, in, in the world. And it was amazing to, to, see, to see it. 
despite the fact that it was wet season in Port Douglas, <laughs> I didn't know the existence of you a wet season. You didn't know that it's wet season and dry season out there? <laughs> I didn't know. So uh, we went there and it, it was raining all the time. So when we landed, I said, well, I, I thought it was... It was sunny here, but they, and then they explained that it was a wet season until maybe March, April. So I said, well, if you want to see the sun, maybe I mean, we have to wait a little bit <laughs> too much, but let's try to enjoy. I, at least I have to say that the world underwater is not affected by the fact that it might be rainy or not. So I really enjoy the, the weather there. Really, I would say that here my, my experience is incredible because it's very different from the point of view of wildlife from Italy is. And uh, on the Great Barrier Reef, uh, I've seen a shark. <laughs> I got very scared from this experience, and, uh, but luckily it was very close to the boat. So I was able to come back to, on the boat very quickly, but it has been amazing, uh, amazing moment because you really see the, the wildlife right in front of you. And it's, and it's amazing, above all, underwater. So it's been something that, for me, was something new, interesting experience for me. And what about some of the more friendly animals? Koalas, kangaroos, wombats, cassowaries? Um, I wouldn't say that a cassowary is, uh, is so friendly, but uh, at least in Italy, we, when we know about wildlife in Australia, we think about a cassowary as the deadliest bird on the planet. And I had the luck to see it uh, when I was in the Daintree Forest driving, crossing the road with two babies. It has been amazing, beautiful, beautiful, also because it's a beautiful bird. And uh, I was very scared when while I was there about jellyfish, yes. but luckily I didn't experience any, any stingers uh, on, on my body. Koalas, I've seen them on the Great Ocean Road in Kenneth River and I found them very 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 cute but one of the most amazing experience here in Australia was playing golf in a golf course of Anglesey surrounded by kangaroos and I can't wait to come back there because it's for, for me has been incredible okay so you're here in Australia as the honorary sarcoma fellow at St Vincent's Hospital Melbourne but what does it actually mean if a doctor is a fellow well, um, it's, it's interesting for me to explain what is a fellow. First of all, I would like to say there's a very beautiful thing to be a, a fellow because it, uh, you, you have time for enjoying your life and enjoying your, your work at the highest level, I think, because you have less responsibilities from ones that you have in your home country. Um, for explaining in a simple way, here I'm doing the job that I do in Italy. So basically I'm, I work to study and to operate, to treat uh, sarcomas, so bone tumors and soft tissue tumors. And I do it supervised by Professor Di Bella, that is the chief of the sarcoma unit in St. Vincent Hospital. So the supervision is one critical thing, it's an important thing uh, when you do a fellowship. And usually a fellowship is meant to gain some expertise in one field. And I'm doing it for trying to improve my skills with, with experience of Professor Di Bella and it's very important for me so that I can grow under her supervision and it's the, the reason why I came here for improving under under her. So it's like one-on-one, -on -one, like she's always there helping you, yes, teaching yes, you, watching yes. you, but do you have some autonomy? 
Yes, I have autonomy usually in the clinics. And uh, however, every choice that I take is shared with her in order to provide them the best treatment and the best decision. And for me to have a second check about my, my decision, that is critical for me for improving. Otherwise, if I was just by myself, uh, it was something that it was useful for me to get used into my um, into my practice, but uh, I, I can learn from myself for sure. But I'm, I'm very happy to learn from someone that is much more experienced than I am. And Professor Di Bella has been on the podcast before talking about bonus soft tissue tumors and training at the same hospital as you many years ago, the Rizzoli Orthopedic Institute in Bologna. Now she lives here in Melbourne and is the chief of the sarcoma unit at St. Vincent's, and you are her fellow. It's quite an incredible story, isn't it? Yes, that is a beautiful thing. And the thing that I like the most is that we are sharing an everyday educational path, because for me, this one with her is an educational path for improving uh, my, my skills, despite the fact that I try to provide every day something uh, about my own experience that I've learned in, uh, in my hospital in Bologna. But it's beautiful because it's, we feel the same energy, we feel the same vibes, and we, we feel to, to have the same roots and it's, it's important when you have to connect with a person. So it's beautiful for me to have the possibility to share one very important moment uh, of my educational path because it is I'm deepening a lot something that I love and I'm doing with her and sharing with, with her the same route. It's more easy for me also for being understood in, what I, in how I think and what I do. So one thing that we should clarify is that in Italy, a registrar is a resident. You, you are a resident, but it's not the same as a resident here. You are a final year registrar, basically. What would you think the differences or are there some similarities between Australian orthopedic registrars and the Italian residents? Yes, it's a very interesting question because it took me some days for understanding the differences between our system and Australian system. As you said, in Italy, when you finish medical school, above all now, because until five years ago, we needed to do one year for getting the registration. Now the registration comes with a medical degree in Italy. So soon after that, you have the examination test for getting to the training and uh, usually it's five years. Now it's dif- here it's different because after the after medical school, you have to apply for internship, then uh, for becoming a resident, then an accredited registrar, and then registrar for uh, getting f- fully into, into the training. So it takes more time. That is the main difference. Do you think that's a good thing? I don't think it's a good thing. Sincerely, I don't think it's a good thing if I, if I have Why to Why is be- that? Because uh, I think that our path is to become a consultant uh, and to have the ability to treat patients, to, to be completely autonomous as soon as possible because we want to play the game. And in Italy, we can do it uh, sooner than is possible to do it in Australia, despite the fact, and it's very interesting, this thing, that registrars are sometimes more experienced than junior consultants in Italy because they had uh, a longer path for getting there so we basically reach the same level as doctors at the same age. So I, when you are 31, 32, you are a junior consultant in Italy and you have more or less the same skills of a registrar of the second, third year in, in Australia. 
but in Italy you are a consultant and in, in Australia you are a registrar. So this is a very big difference because despite having very similar skills, above all from a surgical point of view, you are still a, a, a registrar and not a consultant. So you are supervised, you don't have your autonomy. I think that from a clinical point of view, I don't find this, this big difference. But from a surgical point of view, we start to operate very late in, in our training program fourth or fifth year you start to operate in a more intense way and this happens before in in australia so this is the 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 main difference but uh, i would say that similarities are linked to the age at the same age you almost reach the same skills Uh, the difference in is in the bureaucracy and your fellowship here is not the first fellowship. You've done a fellowship in, in Boston with uh, Professor Kevin Raskin, also in orthopedic oncology. Professor Raskin is an expert at Harvard University in sarcoma. That must have been incredible. How did this happen? Yes, it has been an incredible experience. Before telling you uh, how it happened, I have to thank Professor Raskin because it was an incredible experience with him. He's the chief of the sarcoma unit at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, linked to Harvard University. And Professor Raskin is a professor in Harvard University of Orthopedics. It, it was an observership, so it was not a fellowship for me, because I decided that I wanted to go to the theater with him to follow the clinical practice. If you decide to do a research fellowship, you can just stay basically in the lab to do research, and despite the fact that... But when you went to the theater, were you, were you allowed to assist in the surgery or...? No, I was not allowed to be part of the surgery. I just uh, just was able to uh, to observe. Is there, like, because like, here you're, you're assisting in surgery? Yes, you're, you're, you know, it's completely decisions. different here. Why, why were you not allowed to operate in, in America? Because I didn't have the registration. Here, it took me one year and a half for getting the registration. Uh, so I'm a year and a half to yes. get registration just yes. to yes to get registered. It was it was a very hard path. It was an odyssey. And uh, but you're Italian. You are very used to bureaucracy. <laughs> yes, I didn't expect Australian bureaucracy to be so overwhelming, so so heavy. It was very very tough. You have to provide some documents, and at page five of this document, you are compelled to provide one number. So you have, for getting that number, to apply to one society to have that number. And you have to provide, uh, I think, maybe three documents, each one of them of 10 pages. And in a document one, at page four, you have to provide one number. And this number, you get it from another company uh, providing 10 documents, every one of each of, of 10 pages. And at document four, uh, you have it page three at number. It's, it's, it's like it's crazy. It's crazy. It's all about numbers that you have to provide, and they are provided by other companies. So you have to provide other documents, and it's a crazy, crazy path, and very expensive one. But uh, it's definitely worth it. But in America, you—is it because you didn't have the licensing medical? You didn't have the U.S. MLE. That's the point. For getting uh, for getting registration in USA, you have to do the steps. There are three steps. They are also called U.S. MLE, and uh, it takes a little bit of time for doing, the, for doing it because you the first time the first one is in uh, preclinical medicine. 
Okay, so it's going to be difficult for me now to. Oh, this is the exam. Yeah, the, the exam. Exams. Yes, yes, it's going to be difficult now, the fifth year of residency, to uh, answer questions about biochemistry, anatomy, basic anatomy, or physics. I, I can study them again, but it's going to take a lot of time and effort. And and this is just for the first one. The second one is about clinical medicine. Uh, so the clinical part of the things related to different kind of clinical work. Uh, and the third one is you have to take it in the United States um, with real patients. And you have to prove yourself to be good in English from a, also from a professional point of view. And, uh, and to be able to provide diagnosis and treatment for for them and it takes a lot of time i didn't have time to do it i'm not interested to uh, now to work in the united states as a as a doctor so i decided just do an observership because i always wanted to go there and then one day i was i remember was in my office in bologna i was a little bit tired it was 4 p.m and uh, I was, I don't remember why, I remember that I was a little bit frustrated for something, I don't remember what, what was that, some, some problem with, I don't know, bureaucracy maybe, <laughs> maybe documents for getting to, to Australia. And I, I, I tried to find uh, a way to get to United States. Uh, yes, because it, at that moment, um, Australia closed the border. So I, I didn't have the possibility, now that I remember well, I didn't have the possibility to come to Australia at that moment. So I was with nothing. I spent, I think, six months trying to have some documents for the registration in Australia. And then I knew that the borders were closed. So I needed to find some other path. And, uh, and I said, okay, let's try to search for something to go to Harvard. And I found Professor Ruskin email and suddenly everything changed because he, he's a very nice person. You can understand it since the first email. And then th this fact really motivated me and uh, it gave me a lot of confidence for believing in a path that was interesting also outside of Italy. And then I had the luck that uh, Australia reopened again the border. So I kept going with my bureaucracy for getting here. So from February 2022, I had a lot of luck from that point of view. And then in June, July, I was there. And tell, tell me about that. What was, you know, what was it like there? What were some of the things? I mean, you couldn't operate, but what no, were some but, of the things yeah, that you it, learned? There? What was it like? Well, it was beautiful not to operate because um, I had the time for totally focus on my studies uh, about what I'm interested in, in orthopedic oncology, mainly on artificial muscle and uh, uh, immunology of the sarcoma patient. And uh, they have very interesting new techniques that they use. One of the most interesting ones, despite the fact it's not pretty new, but it, it's the target muscle reinnervation that for my research in, on artificial muscle is very interesting. Uh, it's a complex technique that uh, reattach nerves of amputee muscle to other muscle so that you, you can have myelectrical signals for using myelectrical prosthesis for re restoring movement. Yeah, there are the external prosthesis uh, for amputation that use muscle signals to actuate because the, the, real, the, the word for activation in a prosthesis is actuation. That is 
the basic principle. And an interesting thing is that the idea that was critical for me to get into the PhD in oncology, because in uh, uh, September I got into PhD program in Italy in oncology, and uh, during my interview, the critical point was about the immune system of uh, a sarcoma patient and uh, some of, I, of the ideas that uh, I've been able to tell to when I was interviewed, uh, they came out while, while talking with Professor Raskin. So it was very, very stimulating for me. Um, and they are mainly linked to the fact that I strongly believe that we are not taking care as we should about the immunological system of the sarcoma patient because a surgical procedure has a very big impact on immunological system of a patient. And we see sometimes patients that they have sarcoma, but they have no metastasis. And after three months after surgery, they're full of metastasis. What happened there? And for sure, they were already there. They already spread, but they were not seen because they were taken under control by immunological system, okay, immunitary system. And um, when you do a surgical procedure, you activate a molecular pathway that is a big, big, big hit for the immunological system. So because when we operate patients, we create uh, systemic inflammation. Mm, and people have a fever post-operatively. Like yes, them. for sure. It's, it's systemic inflammation and it's the... Uh, on the other side, despite the fact you might be able to activate more this, this is, uh, immune, immunological system, is not working very well. That is why you have the, this reduction in your immunological defenses. And an interesting thing is that we have new protocols. Of Some, some papers are talking about protocols for perioper- perioperative immu- immu- <laughs> immunotherapy. That is not immunotherapy that we know as medical drugs. Okay? Uh, they are... A protocol shared by anesthetists, uh, by physiotherapists, and uh, and also for from an orthopedic point of view. Okay, and this is very interesting because they help you in re- reducing the immunological effects of the surgical procedure, and it's something that I deepened a lot when I was in Harvard, and I want to deep it more because I think it's critical and it's something that is lacking in the surgical practice now. So have you got any suggestions? Like, is it reasonable for me to send an email to Professor Raskin at Harvard and say, hey, I'm a medical student. Would it be okay for me to come and spend a week in, uh, four weeks in Boston and learn about sarcoma with you? Is it as easy as that? Well, uh, for sure it's something that you can do. And uh, you have to try to go wherever you want. You have to try to live your experience that you, you dream about and you think that might be helpful for, for your path. And it, it sometimes it's more easy than you think it is. And if it's not easy, you, you, I mean, if you want it, you, you, make, you, you make it become easy because mm. it's something that despite bureaucracy, you, you can do it. And uh, I strongly recommend to do an observership or a fellowship to develop an expertise in something. Because in your career path, what is going to make the difference is what it will be the thing that is going to distinguish you from the other from the other colleagues, other people. So you will be searched, you will be asked for your expertise in something. You can be average, you need to be good 
in the basics for sure you need to be good in the things that are most common but on the other side if you want to stand from the other if you want to be recognized for something you have to develop an expertise in something okay i'm trying to do that with artificial muscle and with uh, immunotherapy for uh, sarcoma patient because i think that we lack in these fields and i strongly recommend to to search for this thing and try to find a pathway or a, a department in the world wherever that they are good in doing what you're interested in so that you can have one more weapon as one of your skills. Can you give me an idea of how things differ between the hospital systems of Italy and Australia? I want to be sincere. I'm very proud and happy to work in the Italian healthcare system. is is a public healthcare system. Uh, but if needed, if the patient uh, require it, we, we also have the private part. Uh, very similar to the Australian. Yes, it's very similar to the Australian. I find that mainly due to, to the organization of the everyday work in the world, Australian healthcare system is as a the, the private part is more active compared to the Italian one. But I think this it is the consequence of that of the fact that in Italy the word is mainly managed by the consultant and not by the registrar or the resident, as we want to call them in Italian, as I repeat. As, uh, That's in the, in the public hospital? Yes. Okay. Yes. And whereas in Australia, the word is mainly run and managed by, the, by a resident or a registrar. So this gives opportunity to consultant to focus more on the private practice. And it's, and it's clear. So the public uh, everyday work is more uh, overwhelming for Italian surgeons or Italian doctors. On the other side, sometimes I feel that if you focus a lot on your private practice, you might become slave of that because you are compelled to start it and then to maintain it. So in Italy, we don't have this thing. We never, usually we, we don't become slave of the private practice. Sometimes we struggle a bit because we would like to do a little bit more. But on the other side, the best thing is that the public healthcare system can uh, protect you always. Whereas the private healthcare system, you have to find your own insurance and it's very expensive. So it has drawbacks and advantages. The big disadvantage is to be less protected. Also for a young surgeon to, to start with the private practice is very difficult, okay? Because you have to find patients and uh, you have to find insurance and uh, this is a drawback for a young surgeon. On the other side, you can get more money for sure, but sometimes we reach a point in which we earn a lot of money also in the, in the public healthcare system and uh, maybe we don't need more. We just start, we just keep going with the private because we think it's worth to to maintain our private practice, but we also have to find a balance between what is really worth it to be done in the work, uh, everyday life, and the time that we have to spend also outside of the hospital. It sounds like Australia and Italy are quite similar. How are they different to America? Well, um, you're right. They are very similar from a healthcare point of view. As I told, as I said, there are some differences, but uh, they are 
pretty similar. They're very different from United States. United States has a private healthcare system and it's completely different. So every patient must have um, healthcare insurance for being treated, but it's, it's different, it's difficult to be treated if you don't have an insurance. So that is a big drawback of American healthcare system under my point of view. The big advantage is that you usually are well paid so it's an important thing for a, for a doctor and you can provide very high level, top level care for patients and it's critical for providing the right treatment for, for patients. And this thing has the big advantage of providing many economical resources also for research because research in America is very high level, top level. And uh, that is consequence of the healthcare system that they that they have. So they are very different from the Italian one and the Australian one. Uh, they have some advantage and disadvantage. But from my point of view, that I've been seeing all these different healthcare system. I came back to Italy when I came back from the uh, United States, and I was very proud to be part of a public system, despite the fact it's very hard, because we see a lot of patients every day. And it's very, very tough. And um, on the other side, I think to be to be proud to be part of some healthcare system of an healthcare system that can provide everyday treatment for anyone. What are some of the things that you'll miss from the Australian healthcare system when you're back in Italy? For example, I know in Italy patients have to send you their images, and you spend a lot of time using WeTransfer to download MRIs or CT scans because you don't have a system like here where you can just log in from any computer in the hospital or even remotely uh, from your private computer to look at a patient's MRI or CT scans. Yes, it was the same thing that I've seen in the uh, United States. Uh, this is very annoying for us, very bothering. Usually we don't have uh, an import tool system that is managed by some other. So we doctors, we need to import the images. And orthopedics is about images okay if you want to see a fracture you need to see the x-ray if you want to see a sarcoma you need to see the mri or the ct scan or the x-ray so it's about images so images is critical in orthopedic in general orthopedic oncology traumatology so we need someone that brings the images in the system and usually in italy we are the ones that do it the problem is that sometimes we have the systems that they don't work and we have many patients to see. So we sometimes we have to be more skilled in informatic things than to into clinical things. And it's very, very annoying. Here is a paradise for me because it's, uh, I don't have to deal with this. I, I see the images straight in the, in, the, in the system. So that is one of the things that for sure I'm trying to, to uh, get back to Italy. Another interesting, interesting thing is that I'm very interested in research and uh, I think that we need more data managers for collecting data. And I think that here in Australia, you are more organized than we are in Italy for collecting data. And data collection is critical for research because if you don't have the data collected in a good way, you have wrong results, fake results, and it is critical. So uh, I found here a better organization from that point of view, 
and 100% is something that I'm trying to get back to Italy. Mm, well, what gets measured gets managed, as they say. So yeah. it'll be good if you can develop some registries of sarcoma and so on when you come back to Italy. And of course, you go back to Italy and in October, you become fully qualified surgeon. How are you feeling about this? It's only a few months away. Yes, I'm very excited. Suddenly, I will be able to start to really play because it's, it's my, my dream since I was a kid to play the, the big game. So with it, and it's part of this game, will arrive more responsibilities. But I think if you don't like responsibilities, it's better if you don't do a doctor. The doctor so it's something that you you have to to you know that it's like that and it's part of the game you like that and also responsibility provides you satisfaction provides you happiness i think because if you have good results that uh, are provided by by you 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 are happy about that and it's basically the 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 goal of our job to provide results for patients to improve everyday clinical practice and uh, I'm very excited. I can't hide the fact that for sure I'm a bit worried about having the responsibility, the surgical responsibility of patients to be by myself in the surgical theater. But I'm very happy about my surgical training, about my training in Rizzoli. And uh, I also have to thank Professor Di Bella and uh, Professor Donati, my boss in Italy, for providing me this possibility to be here in Australia because for me it's critical for developing autonomy and uh, to be able to face the responsibility that I will need to face in some months in a very calm way and I think in, the, in, a, in an optimal way. So when you go back to Italy in April, what are the sort of last few things that you hope to achieve as a trainee or as a resident? Interesting question because it's going to be critical for me to have this clear in my mind. <laughs> and uh, I think the most important thing for me, it will to prove myself to be ready to be a consultant. Uh, I think that what I have to, to prove is something that uh, needs to be done every day for to my bosses, to my uh, colleagues and to my to my patient so that it, they can trust me but the most important thing would be the relationship with myself because then i have to play the game with myself and it's going to be my career it's going to be my game so i need to prove myself that i'm ready i'm doing everything i can for doing that and uh, also all this, this striving for being here uh it's, 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 it was for that, for having a position as a fellow that sometimes gives you more responsibility, more autonomy compared to the ones that I have in Italy. So that I have the possibility to do in a safe context a job as, with more autonomy. And uh, in some months I will have a full autonomy. So I think that I'm in the right way to do that. And I really hope that when I'll be back in Italy, I will be able to prove myself that I'm really ready to start a big game. It sounds stressful. And, you know, even for me, thinking about finishing medical school and becoming an intern, which is, is its own stress, you are in the same position in, in its own way, but you're also about to start a PhD, which is also stressful. Are you crazy? What are you doing starting a PhD at this point in your career? Well, I thought that the fact that I was crazy was clear to you since the first moment we met. <laughs> <laughs> 
But then, no, I'm, I'm very excited about my, my PhD. I was, I was very proud to be able to get inside that because it was not simple for me. And uh, I'm doing a PhD in oncology, hematology, and pathology. And uh, is my project in this PhD is to develop the device that I've been talking about in my paper on artificial muscle and neuromuscular prosthesis. If we think about a psych, say you've a, a sarcoma in your biceps. Yes. And your biceps makes you bring your your hand closer to your shoulder, flex yes. your flex your arm, you know, flex your biceps. If you have a big tumor in the biceps, you have to cut it out, don't you? Which yes. means you have to remove and, and destroy the biceps. Yes. And so now the patient is weaker in their ability to move their arm. What you're saying is is there a way we can develop an artificial bicep so that the patient can have their function restored? And is this what your PhD is going to be focusing exactly. on? Exactly. Exactly. Nowadays, it's possible to substitute an, uh, a bone, a joint, but it's not possible to substitute something that is active, like a muscle or a nerve. But with the technologies that we have nowadays, I'm very confident that we will be able to do it. It's 2023. So we need to embrace technology and to use them. We have, we have been on the moon in uh, 1969. So it was something that was a long time ago. And due to technology, I'm sure 100% that we will get there to find a solution for a very important clinical issue. Because not having your muscle or your nerves functioning is very big problems for for patients and is doing a phd something you've always wanted to do i mean you know growing up a lot of people i want to become a doctor of course becoming a phd you're a doctor as well but that's a really big deal is this something you've always wanted to do yes for sure also because it's uh, important in italy for trying to do an academic career my dream is to become a professor maybe one day I will be able to do is very ambitious. But like, like a clinician researcher? Yes, 100%. Yes, but this is a, a very interesting thing for me because I, I think that uh, saying a clinician researcher is, is a repetition because I think that a clinician should be a researcher. It's a matter of responsibility. And that's why, that is why I, I always wanted to have a PhD. I didn't didn't even know the existence of a PhD, but I didn't I did want to to do research, because research I think that is important as well as to be good in running in managing the world, to be good in the clinics, to be good in the surgical theater is the same thing for me. Sometimes we consider it as something different, but it's critical for me that this should be considered at the same level of the other things. Because otherwise, we are not able to use the experience that we get with one patient to all the others in the future. And it's something that, it, that is our responsibility to provide progress and innovation. Because we wake up every day trying to uh, provide to patients the best treatment that we, that we have. We're not perfect nowadays, today, on the, in the surgical theater, we provided to a patient something that today is optimal, but I'm sure 100% that it's not the optimal treatment ever, okay? And the distance between us and the perfection 
We will never get to perfection, okay? But the distance might be reduced just with research. I think it's a matter of ethics, okay? So we, every day, we work and we play this big game trying to, to provide something more to patients. Otherwise, we're stuck in what we have. In some centuries ago, we were certain that the earth was flat and that the sun was not at the center of the solar system. And that we have been proving wrong due to research. And it's the same thing with everyday clinical practice. So that's why I strongly recommend everyone to do one very important thing, to think outside of the box, because it's critical for producing innovation. Working as a doctor, you know, people think about orthopedics, you know, you've got trauma on call. It's very busy, you know, some... It's changed now, but we're talking not that long ago. Some consultants, when they were training, they were doing 100 hours a week. You know, that's crazy. So how do you manage training as a surgeon with your research work? You know, you've got several publications. You're telling me today your H-index has doubled. Congratulations. <laughs> Maybe we, we don't say how much is that. because <laughs> People can use Google Scholar yeah, if they yeah, want to yeah. look up your H-index. But anyway, I'm very proud of that. I'm sure it's going to get bigger in some yes. times. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too, Dr. Bruski. But your, how do you do research? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you just not sleep? Or, I mean, how do you do these two things? It's very tough. There is a point in on which I'm very passionate on, because I think that we have a big issue with our organization. And as I mentioned before, with uh, the important role of data manager, I think that for a doctor, for a surgeon, to do research is very tough. And I think that the critical thing should be to precisely define the roles. I don't want to say... a bad thing, but I'm, I can't be the one to collect the data because after 12 hours of surgical theater, I am tired with my mind because I'm a human. I, I have energies that are, have been focused on something else and I'm not able to collect data in a proper way, okay? When you say collect data, you mean, what do you, what do you mean by this? I mean that when you do a research, usually you have a database usually Excel database, and uh, you have to fill it with your data about age of the patient. You mean collecting information from the patient? Yeah, collecting information from patient. And to collect information is very tough. So that you can do your analysis. Yes, it's the basis for doing your analysis and getting your results. But it's very tough because for collecting your data, for finding them, you have to go to the informatic system to the in the in the in the pc to finding them to search for them to uh, look at the previews uh, outpatient clinics and it, it takes a lot a lot of time and you you have to be alert you have to be lucid on that and i can't be lucid after 12 hours of surgical theater also because i am a human i have my own life so if i spend other 5 hours in, in the lab or in my office for just for collecting data, I'm not able to, to be ready for, I don't know, spending some time with my family because there's also that thing in life and it's very important. And next morning, I will be maybe tired because I didn't sleep and I will be not alert in the surgical theater. I don't, I don't, I don't say for surgery because surgery gets you a lot of adrenaline, so you're always ready for that. But 
our role as doctors, as we are involved in clinical practice and in surgical practice, is to recognize the problem. And you have to be alert for them. So you have to, to see what you do every day with a crit in a critical way. You have to be you you have to rest also your mind for being aware of understanding which are the problems to be solved. Research is a is an answer to problems. So you have to be aware of which are the problems. And if you just stay in the lab, you're not able to understand which are the problems. So that's why it's critical to be a clinician researcher so that you see the problem and you try to find a solution. But we need a better organization for enabling this process to be more effective. So ultimately, if you want to do both, you've got to be prepared to work hard. Yes, 100%. And I strongly recommend to pursue your dreams, your what, what, what you want to achieve from a research point of view, because it's not going to be easy because you will face a lot of nihilists there there are a lot of nihilists there but you have to to be aware that innovation is produced through hard work and also don't be afraid of become visionary or be a visionary because it's important i remember when i when i speak about artificial muscle substituting substituting a muscle in the beginning of the 20th century it was almost Incredible, and it was shocking to think about uh, substituting uh, um, a joint. But then Charlie provided the first one of the first uh, arthroplasties for for substituting a hip, so one of the first hip replacement, and it was a considered a crazy person. But now we do it every day, and it, it's something that really works, and it's important for for us to. To have this as an example of something that can be done despite the fact that now it's considered impossible. And always we have this very big luck that in orthopedics we can trust and we can embrace technology. And technology really can bring you everywhere, also on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 2023 now. You're about to finish your training. You're going to play the game. You're on the chessboard, Dr. Bruski. And... It's the same for me too. I'm about to finish medical school. Next year, I'll become an intern. But I'm interested in if you could go back in time to when you started as an intern and now you're about to finish your training, what advice would you give to yourself? That is a beautiful question. And uh, it's important to think about the past for trying to improve also your path in the future. First thing I would say is congratulations <laughs> because it's a very hard path. And uh, maybe sometimes when you're into the path, you don't understand it. And uh, it's important also to reward yourself with the work that you've done because it's, well, it was very hard to get, to get here. And uh, as you understand, and maybe sometimes medical school is even harder because you have to study and, it's, and you, you don't have... You, you always you can study always more, so you don't have a uh, working time in which after that you've done. So that might be very stressful. So this is the first thing that, that I would say. But if I had to pick f- some uh, recommendation that I would give to my younger self, I would say that four things to my younger self that are very important now. 
looking in the past. The first thing is that you have time. Don't waste it, but you have time. Sometimes we feel that we need to proceed in our life to take decision about our future that we don't think that in that moment they fit us. But we feel, we feel compelled by society sometimes to do that. I remember when I was 21, 22 years old, I felt compelled to, do, to proceed in my life. That is, sounds crazy now. That, uh, I didn't realize how, how, we, how young I was. I'm 30 now. I'm still young. So I would say to our 25, 24, 25 year, years old, uh, Alessandro, I would say, you have time. Don't be conditioned by this society because otherwise you just get anxiety and conditionments and this is something that is going to impair your growth and your, in your future. You have to, to look at your future in a, in a positive way And you don't feel to be anxious or conditioned by, by anything. The second thing is that, and this thing I learned it through surgery, and it's beautiful to be a surgeon for that. And I will sum it up saying, do it. Solve the problem. Face the problem. Challenge the problem. Don't be worried about that. Sometimes we stuck in your life in some problems that we don't, want to deal with and we, we are like the buffering wheel not getting to anywhere and without any results and we stuck into thinking about this problem how can I deal with that how can I do with that and it's beautiful to being a surgeon from that point of view because it gives you action mentality so that you are compelled to act and from my personal experience and I can tell 100% that it's like that <laughs> It's, sometimes it's worse to deal with the consequences of a problem that has not been managed than with a problem that has been managed, maybe not in the best way, but at least it has been managed so that you can proceed in your life. So have a mindset, mentality, focus on action and proceed for trying to solve your problems, to deal with the situation also that might be a little bit more difficult to deal with, but it is what makes a man. So do it. The third thing that I would say to my younger self is, is really important for living, I think, a happy life. Because sometimes medicine might be overwhelming. You, are, you didn't even realize how much time we spent on books, we spent thinking about medicine is mainly this our passion, but sometimes it becomes our curse because we are too involved in that. So find a pathway in your life that is sustainable. I mean that you can't just think about having fun because otherwise you do you not get anything back because you have to hard work for getting something. Otherwise, if you, just, if you just think about work, you're not getting anything back as well because you also, have, you also need to think about something else in your life, to have your friends, your family, your private life. And 
that is critical for having a happy life. And the sustainability, you get it through balancing the private life to, uh, the, the, with, the, with the work life. And if you're not good in doing this thing, you're going to get a lot of troubles because you're not, you're not going to get mental health. This is a marathon. It's not 100 meters. So you're going to have a lot of frustration. And on the other side, if you focus too much on, on, work, on fun stuff, you're not going to get back anything from your working life. So, and it's not simple to do it. So do it as much as you can. Find a balance so that your life can be sustainable. And the last thing that I would say to my younger self is study. Because studying provides you knowledge. And knowledge provides you freedom. And freedom is the most important thing. And we have the possibility to have a work, a job that is, despite all the things that are, that surrounds it, that surround it, the most important thing is the knowledge that you can have and you can use in your everyday work so that we have this beautiful power instrument that is knowledge for getting freedom that is, I think, ultimately the thing that gives us happiness. And uh, one of the most important things linked to my experience doing oncology and trauma is that with, I deal with patients that for them, every day is a, is, is a battle. And with these kind of problems, you see your life completely changing in, 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 in just one day if you have such a diagnosis. And I don't want to be sad. Doing, I want to make this thing sad saying this thing, but uh, it's something that can happen to any one of us. So... This created me the awareness of the fact that we need to chase our uh, dreams, our private life, also from um, despite our working activities, because sometimes we don't, we don't, we are not aware of the importance that our our family friends have in our in our life. I have the luck to see that through these big problems that I try to solve every day, but they make you aware of the fact that in general, the things that we give a lot of meaning to, maybe they don't have this meaning above all from working stuff. So this is very important for uh, confirming the fact that it's, it's so important for having a, to have a, a balance between your working life and your private life because sometimes we put apart family friends and your your dreams that really make your happiness well it is a long game and it is my career and i'll certainly take on board your advice because these are the things which shape us as people we learn from everyone else and eventually one day we become the teacher the consultant so good luck to you in the future alessandra with your last year of training i hope you have a wonderful fellowship here in australia and maybe we'll do part three in the future Thank you very much. It's been an amazing experience here. Also, this podcast was very fun. I'm very happy to have the possibility to share this this thing with you. And can't wait to episode three. Thank you for listening to The Orthopod. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by the handle at SomaGradGroup or on our website, somagradgroup.com. See you in the next episode.